we're called to accept one another, and we're also called to build one another up in the faith. In today's section, believers are urged to have a spirit of tolerance with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, whether you've noticed it or not, we are all different. Amen? Some of you are really different. Amen? We come from different places. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different types of upbringing. But if we're not careful, sometimes those differences can become a problem in the church. We can look at those with different ideas and we can kind of begin to keep them at arm's length. We can look at them, those folks that are different from us, and we can avoid them because, you know, them people, they're a little bit too weird, amen? If you don't know if it's you or not, it probably is, amen? You may be the weird one. However, what you need to know is, is that our differences are what makes the church so effective. You get a bunch of weirdos together, and God begins to use them, and it's incredible what he does through a bunch of weirdos. Man, if we were all the same, just think about what a dull and boring place this would be. Amen? But we have different ideas, different people, and the fact that we are different allows all of these unique personalities to come together and produce a dynamic that is found nowhere else in the world but in the Lord's church. So, our differences make the church effective. When we all love the Lord as we should, when we all allow the Lord to lead as we should, there will be love and respect. There will be power and peace. And listen, there will even be tolerance of our differences between brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, there's a lot of talk in the world today about tolerance. Many people in the world today are living their lives in direct opposition to the Word of God and in open rebellion to the Word of God. And that same world says to you that even though you believe God's Word, even though you try to live by God's Word, and even though you believe that you're going to be judged by God's Word, the world says you must honor those and even encourage their rebellious lifestyle. That's what the world means by tolerance. But friends, listen carefully. There are some things that we just cannot tolerate. Amen? But that's not what I'm preaching about today. What I'm preaching about today is... An attitude within the body of believers, an attitude within the church that accepts not rebellious lifestyles, not sinful lifestyles, but does accept the personal differences 
between brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an attitude that loves them just the way they are, even though they're weird. Amen? Amen? Y'all looking at me like I'm the weird one. Amen? You have to accept me even though I'm a little weird. Even when you disagree with me, the scriptures teach us that we must accept one another. Even when I'm wrong. You may not agree. Whoa. You heard where that two cents came from, didn't you? Amen. Even when I'm wrong, you don't have to agree with me, but you have to love me. Amen. Now, you might not support my view. Amen. <laughs> but you still have to practice love for me. Now, my question for you this morning is, is how tolerant are you? I've made it easy for you today. We've got a tolerometer on the screen, and I want you to evaluate how tolerant you are with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you to the place where you're not putting up with weirdos? Very low? Or is it very high where you're able to just kind of brush off the weirdness and love them anyway? Today, we're going to look at seven verses Seven verses, and when we do, I want you to look into the mirror of God's Word, and I want you to measure yourself. According to the tolerometer, measure yourself and see if you measure up as a considerate Christian today. Romans chapter 15, look in verse 1. Paul writing to a church just like ours, very similar to ours, the church at Rome, and he says in verse 1, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches or the insults of those who reproached you, God, fell on me, Jesus said. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of of God. Paul begins right out of the gate telling us that we have a duty to be tolerant. Paul begins by telling us that the stronger, more mature brother has ought to bear, he says, ought to bear with the scruples or the doubts and the objections and the reservations of the weaker brother. Now, when you hear that word ought, your spiritual antenna ought to go up because God's trying to tell you something. He's trying to tell you something you ought to do. That word ought reminds us that we have an obligation. We have an obligation to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a duty to bear with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we fulfill this duty, we fulfill this obligation when two things occur. How many? Two things occur. First of all, we fulfill our duty by living a crucified life. Verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please 
ourselves. We're to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now that word bear is a very important word. Again, your spiritual antenna ought to go up and you ought to find out what that word bear means because it's incredibly important. It's the same word that was used in John chapter 19, verse 17, when the Bible is speaking of Jesus bearing his cross. It's also the same word used in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, where scripture encourages us commands us, if you will, to bear one another's burdens. So we're called to bear our cross and we're called to bear one another's burdens. The whole idea here is one of self-denial and self-sacrifice when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, one major problem in the world we live in today and in the church today is that most people are so incredibly self-centered. Most people are so interested in pleasing themselves and themselves only that they cannot see the needs of other people. That's a problem. Would you agree with that this morning? That's a problem. But when the church operates like it should, when it functions the way that it should, there will be times when we voluntarily take our own pleasures, our own desires, we set them aside so that we can focus on the other brother or the other sister in the Lord. It's very important that we understand that. There are those that are weaker in the faith than us. And sometimes you've got to set aside your own pleasures and your own desires so that you can help somebody else. That is what Christ-likeness looks like. Would you agree that's what Jesus did? He set himself aside. He set his own glory aside so he could minister to me. So he could save me from my sins, right? That, friend, is the crucified life. It's dying to self and everything that self is so that you can see the needs of other people. Christians are called to be others-minded. Do you know that? Others-minded. But we also fulfill our duty by living a constructive life. Look in verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Now here, Paul is kind of moving deeper. He's going a little bit deeper, and he tells us that we ought to please our neighbor. Now, Paul's not saying here that we should try to be people pleasers. We all know that you can't please everybody all the time. Amen? I can't please half of them any of the time, right? So we can't do that. We can't be people pleasers. But he's also not teaching us that we ought to compromise our standards. We're not to compromise our standards just to make somebody else happy. That's incredibly dangerous and very wrong. So we have to avoid that and know that Paul's not talking about that. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that you and I ought to live in a way that when we meet that weaker brother or that weaker sister in heaven, here's what they're going to say to you. They're going to say, thank you. Thank you for living right in front of me. Will your brothers and sisters say that about you today? When you see them in heaven, will they come running to you and say, thank you? Thank you for living right in front of me, for being the example to me that I needed. You see, the life that we live, as you know, has the power to tear down or to build up. We are in one of two different types of businesses. 
we are in the construction business or the demolition business. Now, if you're in the construction business, it's probably going to mean that I'm going to have to give up some of my rights every now and then. If I'm in the construction business, it's probably going to mean that I'm going to have to deny myself somewhere along the way. But if it helps somebody else, if it helps my weaker sister, if it helps my weaker brother to, to grow stronger in the Lord, then guess what? It's well, well worth it. Friend, that is the duty of tolerance. But Paul don't stop there. Because he also tells us not only do we have a duty to be tolerant, but we also are called to demonstrate tolerance. It's not just a mindset, it's something you do. If you're wondering, how in the world am I going to be this tolerant? I can't stand some of the things they do. How am I going to work? How can I be that tolerant? Or where in the world am I going to find an example to follow in this kind of tolerance? Well, friend, look no further. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. Just look to the example of our Savior there in verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself. But it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you, God, fell on me. The insults of those who insulted you, God, fell on me. Look to the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anytime you're wondering about how to do something, you just look to our supreme example. Anytime you're looking, about, looking to, for an example of how to live for others, how to live your life for the good of other people, then you just look to your supreme example, amen, the Lord Jesus Christ. And just have a listen at this. Have a listen at what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.21. He said, for to this, for to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. I know that's a tall order, isn't it? Nonetheless, that's the high calling of God upon the believer, is to follow in the Lord's steps. I want you to think for a moment of all that the Lord Jesus Christ went through to purchase salvation for you and to purchase salvation for me. He left heaven in all of its perfection and all of its glory. He came to a depraved and crooked and perverse generation in this world. He suffered poverty. He was criticized. He was insulted. He was even rejected by the very people that he came to save. Ultimately, we know that he was nailed to a cross. There he died for a people who hated him so that they might live. When you hear that, the lesson's got to be clear. The lesson is clear. Be like Jesus. Y'all hear that? If you heard that, say amen. I don't believe you. Say it with me. Be like Jesus. Say it again. There it is. That's the lesson. Be like Jesus. Even if you're laughed at, serve other people. Even if you're ridiculed and criticized, serve other people. Even, friend, if you're hated and misunderstood, serve other people for the glory of God. Be like Jesus. And when you think you can't handle it no more, when you think you can't serve other people no more, when you think you can't tolerate their weirdness no more, amen? Look to the example of our Savior. 
be like Jesus. But Paul also says that we should look to the encouragement of the Scriptures. Look in verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. See, as you go through this life serving other people, even the weird ones, you're going to find times of great discouragement. You're going to find times of great disappointment. You're going to find times even of great defeat. But in those difficult times, friends, I want to tell you not only scripturally, but experientially that the Word of God can provide you with the encouragement that you need to keep on keeping on for the Lord. And that's a blessing indeed. Keep on keeping on. Again, just look at what Jesus did. When he was beginning his ministry and the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted, sorely tempted by Satan himself, what did Jesus do? He used the Word of God. Even when he was nailed to a cross, do you know that he quoted scriptures three different times? So in the difficult times of his life, even the Son of God, the Savior of all humanity, used the Word of God for His own comfort, used the Word of God for His own strength. And friend, if it worked that well for Him, just imagine what it'll do for you. Be encouraged by the Scriptures. See, this Christian life that we're living, it ain't easy, is it? It's just not an easy life. It takes a lot of self-denial. It takes a lot of self-sacrifice. It's not an easy life. But listen carefully, friends. Are you listening? Say amen. amen. It's not an impossible life either. It may be tough, but it's not impossible either. If you will look to the example of your Savior and draw your encouragement from the Scriptures, the promise of God's Word is He will enable you to keep on keeping on, to continue on for His glory. If you just take advantage of the tools He's given you. So Paul's revealed that we have a duty. A duty to demonstrate tolerance to our brothers and sisters in Christ. But you may be like me. I'm a question asker. I do it to God all the time. I know he gets weary of it. But when God tells me to be tolerant, I say, why? Why? Just like a kid, why? Why should I desire to be tolerant? God's always good to say, here's why. Amen. He says that in these closing verses, Paul's going to use one word for you. He's going to use one word four times. One word four times. And that one word is the secret of a great church. One word, four times. It's what makes the church a powerful church for the glory of God. The church is not great because of its buildings. The church is not great because of the number of people who attend here. The church is not great because we worship together in spite of personal preferences. The church is great because of this one word. The church ain't great, Brother Howe, because of its singing. It sounds great to me, but that's not why the church is great. The church ain't great because of its preaching. 
I can know that's for sure, amen. What makes the church great? One word, four times. The secret of a great church is found in that little word, one. There's your secret. What makes the church great? Unity. What makes the church great? Unity in belief. Unity in the faith. Unity in service. Unity in sacrifice. Unity in our love for other people. There's your secret. One. When we can love each other in spite of our differences. When we can accept one another in spite of our disagreements. When we can worship together in spite of our personal preferences. Then we are on the way to becoming a great church. And this kind of unity, it comes by practicing the kind of tolerance that I've been talking about today. Practicing, demonstrating. And listen, there's a great reward. There's a great payoff for being like Jesus. And the payoff is threefold today. Number one, this kind of tolerance produces a unity of purpose. Look there in verse 5. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. That verse tells us that the secret of the early church was that they were like-minded. They were like-minded. They grew leaps and bounds, 3,000, 5,000 at the time because they possessed one common goal. You ready for this? Here comes the common goal. They wanted to see men, women, and children come to faith in Jesus Christ. Imagine that. That was the common goal. Listen, y'all, that is the solution to every problem that any church has, is getting back to the primary goal of leading people to Jesus Christ. When the church stops arguing about carpet color and stops arguing about music preference and stops arguing about who did what or who didn't do what and we get our focus back on the primary objective of the church leading people to Jesus, God's going to bless us beyond our wildest imagination. And Paul tells us here, he says, when you, when you do this, when you do this, do it according to Christ Jesus. Well, how is that? Well, why did Jesus come into this world? Jesus came into this world to give his life. Y'all getting this right? To give his life as a ransom for others. And to see sinners saved. Y'all know of another reason why Jesus came? When it's all boiled down. God wanted a relationship with you and Jesus was the only way that it was going to be possible. To give his ransom, life a ransom for others and to see sinners saved. Man, 
if the church would just rediscover that purpose, if we would rediscover that number one objective of seeing sinners saved, friends, that is what this 3151 challenge is all about. We're praying for three lost people in our circle of influence that need Jesus. Be like Jesus, right? Be praying for those lost folks. The one is just committing to God that you're going to learn one way to share the gospel with somebody. That you're going to also invite five people to your life group or to church. And ultimately, in the next 12 months, you're going to share the good news of Jesus with somebody that doesn't know him. And who knows, the Spirit of God may lead that person to come to Christ. Be like Jesus. Lord, may you help us to have that unity of purpose to lead people to faith in your Son. Well, that should be our prayer every day. You know it? So it produces a unity of purpose, but the second payoff, the second reward, if you will, is that this kind of tolerance produces a unity of praise. Look in verse 6. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we rediscover that purpose, that number one objective of leading people to Jesus, praise and worship will automatically happen. You don't have to manufacture that. It will automatically happen. You see, another problem that we have in churches today is that we're always trying to cook up some excitement. Man, I am so guilty of that. We're trying to cook it up. But when we have to cook it up, is it real? Listen, if our minds... And our mouths were united to the same purpose. You won't have to work it up. You'll have to find a way to calm it down. Amen? Because the Lord Jesus Christ will take over. And it will bring great worship and great praise to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, oftentimes we are so incredibly inconsistent. And I'm speaking about the man in the mirror this morning. Sometimes we're so incredibly inconsistent. Man, it's a great thing to come to this place and to worship God Almighty. Is it not great? Amen. But is it not equally great when you walk out those doors to go out there and serve somebody else? Be like Jesus. That verse tells us that when the church gets her mind and her mouth united, when the church gets her beliefs and her actions united, there's a unity of purpose and a unity of praise, and people are going to get saved to the glory of God. Why? Because it's not something we cooked up. It's not something we manufactured. It's something God did. The Spirit of the Lord did. That kind of tolerance produces a unity of praise. But it also produces a unity of practice. Look in verse 7. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The third payoff. The third payoff is this. When we function like a church is supposed to function, we will quickly accept one another as family. 
That's one of the most glorious and beautiful pictures of the church is the picture of the family of God. We'll love each other in spite of our differences. We will learn to look at one another just like the Lord looks at us. That's huge. Now all of a sudden, that other person, she ain't a weirdo no more. Amen? She's the daughter of the Most High God and your sister in Christ. When you and I came to faith in Jesus Christ, He received us just like we were. Just like you were. Now, He don't leave you that way. He don't leave you the way He found you, amen? There's going to be some changes coming. Amen? But He loved us. And he saved us and he welcomed us into the family of God. Can I tell you that that is the prettiest picture of the church I ever heard? We welcome anybody to come into the family of God if they'll place their faith in the Lord Jesus himself. Man, love like that, that kind of love, it's contagious, it's infectious. Man, you'll get it all over you, praise God. It's contagious. People hear about that kind of love. And they say, I want me some of that. They love it and they flock to it. Why? Because the kind of love I'm talking about is a love that the world is sorely lacking today. They need the love of Christ. So do you find that you have a problem accepting others the way they are? When they're different from you, is it difficult for you to love on them and to accept them the way that they are in the church? When they're different from you, the scriptures tell me clearly that I have an obligation. I have a duty. A duty to love them with all my heart and a duty to reach out to them as a brother or sister in Christ. Do you know that there are three incredibly important activities of the believer in the Lord, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Three important activities that ought to be a part of your life. Here they come. Ready? You ready? Say amen. All right, here you come. Here's what you ought to be doing glorifying God, getting people to Jesus and growing brothers and sisters in Christ in their faith. Three things that every believer in the church ought to be involved with. Glorifying God. Somehow, some way, getting people to Jesus. And then once you get them there, grow them. Grow them in their relationship with the Lord Jesus. Friend, there is nothing more important Nothing more honoring to God than those things. And I'm praying that those three activities will become the priorities here at Bethel. Glorifying God. Getting people to Jesus any way we can. And when they get there, we're going to grow them in their relationship with the Lord. So friend, are there issues in your life 
that have been exposed today? If there are, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to get to this altar and do whatever you got to do to get things right with the Lord. He's not talking, wasting his breath. He has something to say to you. If you really have a burden for this church family, if you really have a burden for the future of this church family, I want to challenge you. You need to get to this altar and you need to pray to the Lord to burden some people to become soul winners. Those kind of people that ooze Jesus, amen? Those kind of people that love being like Jesus. I want you to think about something real quickly. We'll close. You. We. May be the only hope that some people have. You may be the chosen instrument in the sphere of influence of people that you make an impact on. Will you be obedient to be a responsible, loving, and tolerant vessel of the Lord Jesus Christ? However the Lord has spoken to you today, I don't know how that is. But he does and you do. And I just pray that you'll respond accordingly. And you'll do what the Lord is asking you to do. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your faithful word that always finds a place in our life that needs to change. Lord, I pray that the challenges we've been listening to today will be taken seriously. Lord, we would realize that we have a high and holy calling to follow the supreme example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, if there are issues that need to be dealt with, Lord, I pray that the altar would be full. Lord, I pray if there are those in this room that truly care for this church family and for the future of this church family, Lord, I pray that this altar will be full. Lord, if there's a desire to see those in our impact circle come to Christ, it would all begin with the full altar. Father, you speak and let us respond for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.